at Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We are doing our new journey through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. And we're going to be looking at specifically principles this Sunday morning, this Father's Day. We're going to look at principles for spiritual warfare. And, and I know you dads, because I'm like you guys. Guys like tools, is that right? Home Depot, Lowe's, one of our favorite places, right? And we like tools because tools help us do the jobs that we try to do with our homes. And so what I'm going to do this morning as we study through this narrative with Jesus Christ is I'm going to exegesis the narrative that's interpretation of Scripture, and I'm going to give you some tools from Jesus' example on tools that will help you do the job you're supposed to do in your homes as dads. And these are tools for all Christians. Not just dads, all Christians. These are tools that will help us win in the battles that we all face. Because we all face battles. We're living in a, a, a cursed world. We're living in a place where there's the world, the flesh, and the devil trying to destroy us. The devil's goal, is dads especially, is to steal us away from God, to kill us spiritually, and destroy not only our lives, but our family's lives too. And so I'm going to give you some tools this morning from God's word that will help you in the battles that you face, that we all face, that all Christians face. And it's right from the pages of scripture in the life of Jesus. Five tools you can put in your toolbox, dads, that will help you in the spiritual battles that we face in this cursed world. And again, it's so important because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, we, we, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Those are demons. Demons that are delegated by Satan to destroy us. And so these principles we're looking at this morning will help. They will help. So let's jump right in. Mark chapter 3, where we left off last week. Verse 7. If you're there, say amen. Here we go. Verse 7. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and also from Judea. I'm losing my sound up here. There we go. We're back in, back in business here. Ready? From Judea and from Jerusalem and from Edomia and beyond the Jordan in the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, and a great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to Jesus. And he told the disciples that a boat should stand ready for for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crowd him. And for he he had Jesus had healed many, with the result that all those who had afflictions, notice that all who had afflictions, they pressed around Jesus in order to what? Touch him. Interesting. Highlight that if you get a chance. Touch Jesus, the afflicted, those that had demons, those that had sickness. They wanted to touch Jesus. Why? Because in touching Jesus, they could be healed. In touching Jesus, they could be set free. In touching Jesus, they could be, they could be touched by his power and his presence to fix that which was broken in their lives. We see that all throughout the scriptures. We see the lady with a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had hemorrhaging problems, and all she had to do was touch Jesus, and it went away in Jesus' name. Touching Jesus. They were pressing in around to touch Jesus. Verse 11, and whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, these are the demons, they would fall down before Jesus, and they'd shout, you, you're the son of God. That's demon voice right there. You're the son of God. And he earnestly warned these demons not to tell who he was. Now, I want you to see here, first of all, go back to our text. Jesus withdrawing. Why was he withdrawing? 
because he had been in a collision with religion. We saw that last week, right? He had been in this battles with these religious people. Remember, he healed the paralytic, and they, they called him a blasphemer because he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, they were right that only God can forgive sins, but they, he, they were wrong because he, he wasn't blaspheming because he was God in the flesh. We saw that, right? We saw also that he touched the guy last week with the withered hand, paralyzed hand, the hand that it was dead, and he touched that hand, and these religious people gave him a hard time because he touched the man on what day? On the Sabbath, the Shabbat. And because he was breaking their traditions and their rules and their Talmud and their oral rabbinic tradition, they were just wanted to kill him. And so Jesus is having this collision with religion. So what does he do? He withdraws. He gets away on the sea to be with his disciples, to have some rest. You know, rest is a good thing. I hope some of you dads this afternoon get some rest. It's a good thing. Hey, hey. Wives, give your husband the remote and let him take a nap this afternoon. Rest is a good thing. Jesus getting away to rest, but as he's getting away to rest on the sea, a great multitude follows him into Galilee, into the sea where he's going, and Jesus, instead of putting them off, says, hey, get, we're, we're, we're taking a break here. Get away. No, no, he's going to minister to them because Jesus says he's always about his father's business. Even when he wanted to rest, if there was opportunity, he was going to minister in, in the Father's name. And so he's, he's got all these people following him. It says there's a great multitude. This is interesting, too, because they're coming from Jerusalem. He's up by Galilee. This is way north of Jerusalem. They're coming from Jerusalem. They're coming from Edomiah, which is all the way down by the Sea of uh, the Dead Sea. And then they're coming beyond the Jordan, which is in present-day Jordan. And then they're even coming from Tyre and Sidon, which is all the way northwest, up by the Mediterranean Sea, Big distances here. People are coming. And it's described as a great multitude. Uh, Josephus says when Jesus would preach in these outdoor uh, uh, venues, there'd be thousands there. Remember, the feeding of the 5,000. Thousands of people were coming. This, this kind of amazes me because this is before radio. This is before TV, obviously. It's before social media. It's before, you know, Snapchat and Facebook and all these uh, different ways we could let people know about stuff that's going on. And what was the means of communication there? Just the word of mouth. And people were telling people about this healer, about this rabbi, this teacher, about this son of God, the Messiah. And they're coming out by the thousands. By the way, church, the best way to do outreach today same thing. Tell people about Jesus. And not only tell people about Jesus, but do what these people were doing. Come and see. Come and see. That's what Andrew did with Peter, and Peter became one of the main apostles. Come and see. And one of the ways God can use you to advance his kingdom today is by telling people out in Lexington, and Gilbert, in Columbia, in Irmo, wherever you're at, come and see. Come. Come, and come, come to Calvary Chapel. There's this bald preacher there that just teaches the Bible. Come and see. Come and see. You know, Jesus talked about this in one of the other Gospels. He said, hey, you know, uh, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come to God's house. That's what we should be about. Amen? Amen. Come and see. Come and see. And that's what's happening now by the thousands, great multitude. But I want you to see here, 
There were so many people, Jesus said, we need to get on a boat because these people are pressing in on me and they just, all they want to do is touch me. And so he gets, on the, he gets a boat lined up so that he can continue to teach these thousands of people because the crowds were just jamming in on him because all of them wanted to touch Jesus because there was power in just touching him. This is God in the flesh, the power of God in the flesh. And they knew if they just touched Jesus again, they'd be set free. The power is so strong that even demons were declaring, this is the son of God in this man. This is God in the flesh. Now, interesting. First thing, first tool I'm gonna give you for your toolbox, fathers. You wanna win in the battles that you face? Be like these people. Press in to touch Jesus. And when you're in a place of affliction, you're dealing with unclean spirits. It's not unclear. It's supposed to be unclean spirits. Put yourself in a place where you can touch Jesus. A couple of venues that God has given us for touching Jesus today. Your own personal prayer times. Every single believer should start his day if at all possible, with an appointment with Jesus where you press in through reading his word and through prayer to touch him before you do anything for the rest of the day. There's power in that. There's power in that to win the battle for the day if you start the day pressing in, touching Jesus, reading your word and praying. So important. Hey, another venue for touching Jesus, what we're doing right now. What we're doing right now. This this. Jesus said in his word, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there, what? In their midst. And so another venue God's given us is what we're doing right now. When we gather together, his spirit inhabits the praises of his people. And when we're pressing in on Sunday morning in worship and hearing his word and having ears to hear what the spirit wants to say to each one of us, we gather in Jesus' name. And there's power here to touch Jesus in our worship and in the time of receiving God's word. And listen, church, you can't be a victorious Christian unless you have fellowship going on and you're pressing in to touch Jesus in the context of fellowship with other Christians. I don't care what anybody says. Well, I don't need to go to church. I'll just go out to a park on Sunday morning and worship by myself and just read the Bible myself. That's good. Worship and read your Bible. But for goodness sake, be in church too. Because the Bible says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. What does it say? Not what? Forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another. And notice this, and all the more as it gets towards the end of the age, as the, as the day draws near. Hey, in these last days we're living in right now, for goodness sake, we need to be together. Two are better than one. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And there's something powerful coming together with God's people corporately and worshiping him, letting his spirit inhabit our praises and then equip us with righteousness through hearing God's word taught. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And if you want to be a victorious Christian, you got to press in on your daily times, starting your day with Jesus to touch him, but you got to also press in and be with God's people when God's people meet. And to be honest with you, one of the things that scared me the most about this pandemic we had for the last year was the lockdown of churches. It scared me to death. You know why? Because the physical thing, I get it. It was a serious virus. 
People did die from the coronavirus by the thousands across the country. But listen, only less than 1% of the people that got the coronavirus died from it. 99 point something percent of the people that got the virus did not die from it. But you know what I did see? That a lot of Christians got out of fellowship and they were losing in spiritual battles in their lives because they got out of fellowship and they stayed out of fellowship. And they got this mindset that, well, I'll just live stream and wear my PJs and make pancakes and stay home and live stream it. No, it's not the same. Being with God's people is so important, so important to be in fellowship because that's where we touch Jesus together corporately. Amen? And if you're struggling, man, if you have affliction going on, if you've got stuff that's, that's attacking you spiritually, one of the best things you, you could do is to be with the psalmists who said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Or with the psalmist that said, hey, one day in your house is better than what? Thousands elsewhere. So this is the first thing. If you want to win in the battles you face, get yourself in places where you can touch Jesus and the afflictions you're facing, the battles you're facing, and he will give you victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that, church? All right, let's go on with the story now. After these people pressing in to touch Jesus, pick it back up in Mark. It says this, verse 13, and he went up on the mountain, and he summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to Jesus. And he appointed 12 so that they would, notice, they appointed 12 so that they would be with him. Notice that phrase, we'll go back to it, that they might be with Jesus. And then he also appointed that he could send them out to what? To preach, and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. And then James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name uh, Boen, Boenarges, which means sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Now, this is interesting, because now Jesus is, is about to appoint the world changers. That's who I call the apostles. These guys are going to be the world changers that are going to take on the ministry, the, the, the baton of Jesus' ministry after he ascends to heaven, and they're going to change the world. This was an incredibly important decision for Jesus, who was going to be the 12 apostles. And, and what we read from the uh, Gospel of Luke, actually, is we're told that he, in the Gospel of Luke, he has stayed up the whole night before he appointed these 12 apostles because he wanted to have clear direction from his father who these 12 guys are supposed to be. Interesting, too, there's 12 apostles in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's 12 what? 12 tribes. You got it. And that's, that's symmetry, Old Testament and New Testament, because the 12 tribes were from the 12 sons of Jacob, and they were the patriarch, patriarchs of God's people. And so now... These apostles are going to be the patriarchs, the spiritual fathers of God's people that are going to descend from them and from their teaching. It says in Acts 2.42, the New Testament church continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We know, we know from the New Testament that most of the New Testament was written by these apostles. We know from the New Testament also that the church, the Christian church, was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
These guys are world changers. They're very important guys. Interesting, too, we, we, we know that Jesus gave some of these guys nicknames. You know, Simon, flaky, impetuous fisherman. I'm going to call you the rock, Peter. That's what Peter means, rock. Isn't that beautiful about Jesus? He doesn't look, us, look at us for who we are right now, but who he could become. He sees great potential in all of us. He says, this flaky, impetuous fisherman, you're going to be the rock. And upon your confession, I'm going to build a whole church. Interesting also, the sons of thunder, James and John. <laughs> Remember the story, they would come to the city in Samaria, and the city rejected Jesus and his ministry. And these two sons of Zebedee, James and John, said, hey, Jesus, let's do this. Let's call down thunder and destroy the whole city. I know you can do it, Jesus. And Jesus, oh, we got a new nickname for you guys. Sons of thunder. And I could just see them wearing leather jackets with lightning bolts, you know. Sons of thunder. And that was their nickname. Interesting thing about this, too, is what do you do with people you become good friends with? You give them nicknames, right? Jesus, in his ministry to these apostles, became a good friend to them. I see that even in our office. We got nicknames floating around our office. My staff and I, we become good friends. And I'm, I'm no longer Pastor John. I'm, I'm PJ. Some of them actually say PJ3. And Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, our U-turn pastor, he, the, the, the other staff, a bunch of the staff going, that's, hey, that's Steezy. Then you got Pastor Mike, and we call him Nimrod. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was actually his nickname in high school, though. Pastor Mike, if you here, God bless you. Hope you're in your office right now. But it was, his nickname, it was, was, was no, his nickname on the football team was No Neck Nimmer. But we, what do you do with people you get close with? You, 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 become, you give nicknames, indication. Jesus got close with these apostles. He ate with them for three years. He traveled with them for three years. He walked, you know, the shores of the Galilee with them for three years. He did ministry with them for three years. He set people free from demons with them, and then he sent them out to do it too. He was friends with these guys. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't want us just to be this faraway relationship as disciples. He wants to be our friends. I like what he said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his what? Friends. He also said in John 15, 15 to his disciples, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you what? Friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. And listen, I want you to see something here too. He's delegated to them now. He's going to send them out to preach, right? That's what we read, to preach and to set people free from demons. But what's the first thing he's appointed them to do? Before they preach, before they set people free from demons, go back to your scripture. It says he appointed 12, first of all, to what? To what? To be with him. With him. Here's the second principle I want to give you for spiritual battles and spiritual warfare. If you want to win in the spiritual battles you face, you need to spend time being with Jesus. Kind of similar to the first point. 
Now, interesting, as the enemies of Christ and the religious leaders started persecuting the New Testament apostles, they were trying everything they could to shut down the church in the book of Acts. And as they did this, they observed the apostles, and they observed that these apostles were uneducated, untrained men, but they were starting to change their whole city of Jerusalem. And notice what they said about these apostles. Uh, Acts 4.13, it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed. These were the opposition. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been what? There it is right here. Been what? With Jesus. There's the key. Before they would preach, before they set people free from demons, they had to be with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I'll abide in him. And he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you could do nothing. That abiding relationship, just being with Jesus, is going to give you the power to win in the battles that you face and to be a world changer for Jesus Christ. I see it in Calvary Chapel all the time. You know, some of the pastors that are changing the world in regards to huge Calvary chapels across the country, these guys, some of these guys didn't even graduate, not just from college, but from high school. Some of these guys, like Mike McIntosh, was the guy I talked about a couple weeks ago, he was in a psych ward before he came to Calvary Chapel. Then he goes on to pastor and start and pastor the largest church in the city of San Diego at the time. How in the world did he do that? Because he's a man that loves to be with Jesus. And I want to read a couple good books by Mike McIntosh, by the way. One is Falling in Love with Prayer. Another book he wrote is called Falling in Love with the Bible. Great books by him, by the way. And it just shows his heart. His heart is he's a man that just loves to pray and he loves to read his Bible. And God loves to use him because he's a man that loves to be with Jesus. I was on the mission field again with, with Mike on a whole week-long trip, and I just saw that. He would just, even in the midst of the busyness of crusades and mission trip, he would rise up early in the morning, and he would just spend time being with Jesus. He'd be late to stuff because he's out there praying and being with Jesus. It's a man that loved to be with Jesus. And I see that all across the board with our Calvary Chapel pastors. Many of them are just like the apostles, uneducated, untrained, regards to seminary. Now, I'm an exception. I'm an oddball as usual. I did go to seminary. I did get my Master's of Divinity. So did Pastor Mike. But a lot of our Calvary Chapel pastors are uneducated, but they love Jesus, and they spend a lot of time with Jesus. And that's the greatest education you could have, by the way, is just being with Jesus. That's what empowers us. That's what gives us victory. That's what helps us win in the spiritual race that we're running in. Amen? So being with Jesus, second key to winning in the battles that we faced. Now let's go on. Verse 20, and he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent they couldn't even eat a meal. They were so busy doing ministry, they couldn't even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of Jesus For they were saying, he has lost his senses. Now another version says, well, these people people from his town or wherever else, they said, he's lost his senses. Another version said, he's beside himself. What's it to be beside yourself? You've gone nuts. You start talking to yourself. What's that called, schizophrenia or whatever? It's like, hey, it's a good day. Yeah, I think it is a good day. What what are you doing today? I don't know. Multiple personalities, everything. That's beside yourself, right? By the way, Pastor John talks to himself a lot. I'm this... 
<laughs> and it's just because that's David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. David, man after God's own heart, he talked to himself too. I'd be in good company. So, but it says these people thought that he's lost his senses. He's beside himself. He's gone nuts. But verse 22 says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. Beelzebul was a, a Jewish, a, another Jewish name for Satan. Literally translated, it's the Lord of the flies. So what they're saying here is that Jesus, they're saying Jesus is possessed by Satan. Wow. And he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. So they're not only saying Jesus is possessed by Satan, they're saying he's doing his ministry by Satan's power. And he called them to himself, and he began speaking to them in parables. How, this is Jesus' response to that now. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he can't stand. He's finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, look, look at this, unpardonable sin. All sins shall be forgiven the sins the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the what? Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Hmm. Because they were saying, Jesus has an unclean spirit. Now let's talk about a couple of these things here. This is interesting stuff right here. First of all, what is the unpardonable sin? What is the unforgivable sin? Answer, I think today it's different than Jesus' public ministry. In Jesus' public ministry, it was a unique phase of time when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism. Remember, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove at his baptism. And, in, and, and as the Holy Spirit descended on him, he began his public ministry, and he did incredible miracles. I mean, he fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. He walked on water. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And all these miracles of casting out demons and, and, and raising people from the dead, everything, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that happened for those three years. And during those three years now, these religious leaders are attributing the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ's ministry to Satan. And they're saying Jesus is possessed by Satan, and what he's doing is by Satan's power. Jesus says that's unforgivable, because you're blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit during this public ministry. Did you see that? It's a unique time. Now, today, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? How can you do the unforgivable sin today? I think there's only one way. It's denying the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. And listen, here's how, we, here's how we do the unforgivable sin today. The work of the Holy Spirit today, John 16, tells us this. 8 and 9, it says the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world. He, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit today. The main work of the Holy Spirit today is to be working in people's lives, drawing them to a point where they're convicted of their sin, of the need for righteousness, and the judgment that's coming. 
And when that Holy Spirit is working in that way, the way you could commit the unforgivable sin, there's only one today. That's denying the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life today. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit today. And when the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Christ, and you shut that down, and you continue to shut it down, and you continue to shut it down, God says, okay, it's unforgivable. Because there's only one thing that will not bring forgiveness to you today. And that's denying the work of the Holy Spirit to draw you to Christ and to draw you to the Savior. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, listen, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but you have eternal life. And if you just simply do that, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So the third principle I want to give you for spiritual warfare, really, really important, is cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Cooperate with it. When the Holy Spirit's working in your life, drawing you to Jesus, first of all, cooperate in salvation. Don't, don't commit the unforgivable sin today of denying the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. If you need to do that, do that. Let, you, let, your, let your life be drawn to Christ by the Holy Spirit, convict you of your sin and your need for a Savior, and then you're not going to be committing the unforgivable sin. But after you do that, also, if you want to win in the spiritual battles you're facing, you've got to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't get hard in your heart towards when the Holy Spirit's speaking and leading in your life. Be people that listen and then obey to that leadership of the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. One of the ways we overcome the lusts of our flesh is having a life that's just walking in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk? You go in the direction the Holy Spirit's leading you. And as you're led by the Spirit, you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God, and you go with the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's not by our might nor by our power, but by God's Spirit, we win in the battles that we face. But we got to be not hard-hearted to those leadings of the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit leads, go. Go in the directions of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit convicts, be convicted and repent. It's an important part of winning in the battles that we face. But another thing I want you to see here, it's actually my third point, is be people who bind Satan, especially in your homes. Go back to the scripture. It says this, no one, verse 27, no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds, notice, binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. There's a picture Jesus is painting here. We need to bind Satan. We need to be, especially dads, listen, you're supposed to be the spiritual leaders in your house. Bind Satan in your house, man. Don't let demons be a part of the strongholds in your family or in your houses. And how do you bind Satan? There's a number of, number of ways scripture gives us. We talked about it last week. One way is through prayer. Jesus said sometimes these strongholds are not broken except by prayer and fasting. And one of the ways you could bind is pray for your kid your kids, pray for your wife, pray for those people you're witnessing to, pray for those people at work, pray for your home. There's power in prayer. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. They could shut down strongholds. And we need to be binding the strong man through prayer. Strong man, Satan. Another way that we bind the strong man, especially in our homes, worship. Worship. 
One of the ways to get darkness gone is to turn on a light. And worship brings light into our homes. I think all Christians should be having all kinds of worship going on in their homes. Not just Sunday morning. Not just when you're getting ready for church. All week long. Let it rip, guys. Get, get some of those portable speakers around your homes and play, fill your homes with worship. And as you turn on the light of God's spirit through worship in your homes, the darkness flees. And same in your cars. Driving your cars. Play some worship, man. Another way that we bind the strong man is through God's word. She'll know the truth. Truth sets you free. And I love 1 John 2, 14 talking about this. It says, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you're strong. And why are the young men strong? Because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. One of the ways we, we bind the strong man in our lives, in our homes, is by having homes and hearts that are filled with God's word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It lights things up. And when you light thing up, things up like that, the darkness flees because of the word of God giving you victory and the power of the word of God to be living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So be people, if you want to bind the strong man, use God's word. By the way, that's why memorization of scripture is so important too because when spiritual attacks come, if you've got scripture in your heart, you've got it in your heart, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping according to that word? That word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And the example of Jesus, again, when he was under spiritual attack, he used God's word. It is written, it is written, it is written. And he used God's word in the battles that he faced, and we should too. Bind the strong man. Bind the strong man through God's word. Bind the strong man through worship. Bind the strong man through being people that are, are, are people of prayer and fasting even. Bind the strong man. And this is speaking to some of you. Because some of you this morning have some things going on with your kids. Maybe grown-up kids. Well, you've got to bind the strong man in their lives because they're getting off and, and they're even bringing stuff into your homes possibly that are demonic. Bind the strong man. Drive it out through prayer, through fasting, through word of God, through worship prevailing in your home. That will bind the strong man. Amen? Let's do it. Let's win in these things. Then the last part of the story, go back to verse 31. If you're there, say amen. amen. Here we go. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to Jesus and called to Jesus. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus. And they said to Jesus, Behold, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, they're, they're outside looking for you. And answering, Jesus, answering them, Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at all those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For notice what he says. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, a couple of things I want you to see here. First of all, there's a false teaching. It's actually in the Catholic Church. It's uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary. It says that Mary, uh, uh, she, she was virgin Mary, and she was. Virgin birth is totally biblical. We believe in that. It's one of our foundations for doctrine. Yeah, virgin birth, necessary, because that points to the deity of Christ, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully man. But this idea of perpetual virginity of Mary, that she didn't have any other kids, not found in Scripture. Here's Mary coming with what? Jesus 
brothers. Very clear. And we're told that Jesus' brothers, by the way, too, uh, all throughout his public ministry didn't believe. We're told that in John chapter 7, verse 5, that they didn't believe in him during his public ministry. But an interesting thing happened after he died on the cross. He rose from the grave and he appeared to them. Can you imagine that, by the way? I just put myself back in that scenario. I didn't believe in you at all. You were making all that stuff up. You, Messiah, right. And then he dies three days later. Poof! Appears to James. We know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I bet you James goes, Woo, I know why he was such a goody two-shoes then. No wonder he never made any mistakes. And the interesting thing we know about these brothers, too, is they went on to write two books of the Bible. What two books of the Bible did Jesus' brothers write? James and Jude. Interesting, too, as they started their books as brothers of Jesus, James 1.1 says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. Greetings. That's Jesus' brother. He didn't call him brother. He calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jude starts out his book. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. He's not saying, I'm a brother of Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You see the deity of Christ there? His brothers are now recognizing after the resurrection. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to them. But I want you to see something, too, here. Is, is I don't go the direction of saying, well, Jesus didn't care about his family here because he was just caring about these people he's teaching. And he's saying, hey, these are my brothers and, and mom, that, those that do the will of God. Be careful with that because, no, no, earthly family was important to Jesus. What did he do at the cross with his mom? Remember the gospel? That he's at the cross with his mom and he's dying for the sins of man? And he said to his best friend, John, the son of thunder, he said, hey, woman, behold your son. Son, best friend, behold your mom. Take care of my mom from now on. He cared about his earthly family, but there's a principle in here. And that is that sometimes we'll be even closer with our spiritual family than our physical family, especially if those physical members of family don't know Jesus and aren't saved. There's a bond that develops between brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a part of the household of God. We are family here. We have the affinity of family, Philadelphia kind of love, the the love, the brotherly love. It's here. Because that's who we are, we're family. We're adopted. We have an Abba Father that's given us his spirit to bear witness to our spirit that we're children of God, right? And because of this adoption into his family, there should be a, a closeness, a tightness, friendships and fellowship and caring for one another. Last point I want to give you for spiritual warfare. Be people whose lives are all about doing the will of God. Why? Because that identifies you as a part of the family of Christ. Look at what Jesus said again. Whoever, verse, last verse, verse 35, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That's a, that's a part of who we are as God's family, is we have this whole different orientation in life. Our life isn't about self anymore. Our life isn't about narcissism. Our life isn't about self-promotion. Our life isn't about us anymore getting center stage and being the center of our universe. Our life now is about doing the will of the Father. 
It's about what Jesus said to his father right before the cross. Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. It's about having a life where you're no longer going to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And your whole life changes when you really are adopted into God's family. Why? Because you look at a cross where Jesus died for you, and you say, if, if he did that for me, I'm going to have a life now about living for him. It's not about just doing what I want to do anymore. It's about doing what he wants me to do. It's about having a life that's pleasing to him because he died for me. And as you do that, listen, why is that important in spiritual battles? Because the three tools that Satan uses to get us to lose in the battles we face is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And the way you counteract those three things is by having a life that says, that's not about me anymore. What's about me now is doing the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And what that keeps you safe. I remember 40 plus years ago coming to Christ and seeing that whole change in my life where I said, okay, it's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. It's not about me just getting me, 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 me like the rest of the world. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it's about serving him, living for him, and doing his will, not just my will. And I've made mistakes in the last 40 years where I got back into the self-promotion and not doing God's will. And I've had seasons, especially in college, where I backslid back into the world. But as a whole, in the last 40 plus years, I've done my best to try to, my life's about serving Jesus and doing his will, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then he'll add all things unto me. And what I've seen as I do that is I have a life that's characterized by trying to do God's will. It keeps me safe. It keeps me in a place where I'm going to win instead of lose spiritually. It helps me run the race in such a way to win because my life is about doing his will. And not just my will. Amen? So what are the five tools? All right, guys, toolbox. Dads, what are the five tools? Let's go back to it. Number one tool. When you're in a place of affliction or dealing with unclean spirits, put yourself in a place where you could what? Touch Jesus. Two primary places. Your personal devotions and church. Don't neglect either. Put yourself on a regular basis in a place where you're touching Jesus and there's victory found in that and there's healing and there's setting free through touching Jesus. Number two, very similar. If you want to win in the spiritual battles you face, spend time being with Jesus. That's the power source right there. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Number three, be people who bind Satan, especially in your home. And how do we bind Satan? Through prayer, through fasting, through God's word, through being people of worship, inundating your home with those things will give you victory in those areas in your home. Number four, be people who cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Allow the Holy Spirit to, bring, to, to help you walk in the direction of the Spirit and not in the flesh. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring repentance in your life. Repentance brings times of refreshing and blessing. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Be drawn by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. Number five, 
be people whose lives are all about doing, doing. Amen. Well done. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. It's true. Your word is what sets us free. Your word that is what helps us win, Lord, spiritually. Thank you, God, that you want every single Christian in this room to be victorious in the battles that they face. And Lord, I just pray for every single Christian in this room that they'd be people that are, that are living out these tools we talked about this morning. God, help us to be people that on a regular basis are touching Jesus through worship, through being in church, through our devotions. Help us to recommit, Lord, to just being people that love to be with you, Jesus. Love to spend time in your word. Love to hear your voice through your word. Love to worship you. Love to just be at your feet. Help us to recommit to that, Lord. And Lord, just thank you so much for the way that you give us power as we do that. And I pray for people in this room too, Lord, that are dealing with some spiritual battles, maybe even in their own homes. I pray that in Jesus' name, they'd use these tools we talked about this morning to bind Satan. May they, may they be people that are using God's word to bind Satan. May they be people that are using the power of prayer to bind Satan. May they be people that are using worship to, as they come into your presence and your spirit overtakes, that draws out the darkness and the light is turned on in those areas where the light needs to be turned on. I pray for homes here today that might have some uh, spiritual oppression or there might be some spiritual attacks going on. In Jesus' name, we pray right now for power. We pray for deliverance. We pray for victory in those areas where victory needs to be won. May there, may there be a new empowerment by your Holy Spirit in each person here that goes back to their homes that have, has strongholds that need to be broken. I pray that strongholds in Jesus' name would be broken even this week in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray too that we be people that are all about doing the will of the Father. God, help us to be people, as we talked about, that aren't conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, which comes through your word, God so that we may prove your will for our lives, Lord, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, God. Thank you, Lord, that your will is the best will for our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you use stubborn, stiff-necked people like us as we repent of our selfishness. You use us to be world changers, God. You use us to be witnesses for your kingdom. You use us to be your ambassadors, Lord. And I pray that even this week we do that. Help us to be people that are out there in the highways and the hedges and saying, come and see. Come and see what God is doing in my life, in the life of our church. Come and see. Use us as your ambassadors this week, Father. And God, I pray for power, the power of your Holy Spirit to be people that are winning spiritually in these battles that we all face, Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence in our lives, Lord. And may that just continue to invade our homes, our marriages, our kids. Give us that power, Lord. And help us to be people that just love to be with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen.